Nighttime on Still Waters. This is NB506812, narrowcasting into the night from somewhere on Britain's waterways. Twenty-eighth of May, Friday. We're together again, hands deep in soil, filling little pots, planting seedlings, nurturing the earth, coaxing life. A fine rain spangles the air. This feels good. And when it comes down to it, this is really all there is. Tending the ground and helping it grow. It's a moonless night tonight, and the air is soft and warm. So let's put the kettle on, sit down for a while, and see what the night will bring us. This is Narrowboat Erica, riding the still waters of the night. Thank you for coming, and make yourself at home. Well, just recently there's a definite feeling of early summer. It's in the quality of the warmth a languorousness in the air that has at last descended on the canal. That distinctly autumnal feel of earlier this week where the stove glowed cherry red and the rain drove across the waters has gone and the water and the land and everything in it knows it. The handwriting of the seasons is written on the hedgerows and young leaves are turning from limes and emeralds to rich, deep greens. And the elder by the towpath gate is showing clusters of white globular buds. And the flag is getting ready to blaze its yellow glory. A swallow sweeping low across the water's surface, arrowing the dusky air. Just one, but it was one. And the carp are now rising, great mottled bodies like aquatic jaguar haunches, stealthily navigating the jungle waters by the bank. Soon it'll be mating time, the churning of the deep nighttime waters. It has been a brilliant year for Hawthorn, literally. Great white and pinky-white foaming drifts alive with ecologies of insects. And the ducks are now frisky and looking for the next hatchings, new places to nest, but with a greater assurance, more ready to stand their ground. Boats known for their hospitality and duck food are landmarked on their territories and much visited. They know which boat to go to, which dogs are not a threat. And the swans are still on their nest. And this morning I spotted a mother mallard with eight ducklings on the canal. And the twin that has so far evaded capture has struck up an unholy alliance with two young mallard drakes. The mother hustled the ducklings to the bank and one of the mallards made a half-hearted attempt to show interest 
but they all moved on, and the waters quietened again. A moorhen had peered a little further up, and the female and her eight little ducklings buzzed and ambled in the dawn rain. And at long last we managed to plant out some containers. It's important for both of us to have some green on the boat. And apart from the money plant that sits behind me, we've singularly failed. And so far the frosts have been too cold for outside planting. So fingers crossed. I always love hearing from you and getting to know the, the things that you get up to. And thank you, Carol Knight Ennis, for sending me a link to a lovely little video of a school that has what seems to be a, a fairly resident duck. Uh, whether that's by design or accident, I don't know, but apparently it's a yearly occurrence and she hatches her eggs and the uh, ducklings are then escorted through the school, actually literally through the school, through the classrooms. And there's this lovely guard of honour by all the, with all the little children on each side. And they're very gently and very respectfully herded through the classrooms outside and then into safety, into the uh, what I imagine is their, their lake or pond. And a very big thank you to Vanessa from the Mindful Narrowboat vlog for the shout out. Thank you very much for that. And actually, a number of you might find it quite interesting because currently she's on one of the waterway systems that's in some ways quite distinct from the rest of the canals and river systems that we have. She's on the, the great drains and the levels of East Anglia, which have a very distinct and different character to the normal canal systems and not particularly designed to actually carry uh, waterways, but actually to drain the land. Uh, and it's surprisingly beautiful. I always imagine that when I've seen them on my way up to see Dad, that they must be quite monotonous and you're quite low down and you can't see anything. But actually watching Vanessa's vlog, it's really beautiful and something quite ethereal and... I don't know, you can't quite put your finger on it, but there's something very special about that landscape. I'll put the link again in the program notes below, because as I said, I'm, I'm sure a number of you who uh, are interested in canals and waterways of Britain will find it very interesting. And talking of those who are overseas, then I just want to send my best wishes to Nancy who is uh, an old and long time and much valued listener and participator in these podcasts. And I know that, Nancy, you've not been in the best of health. And I hope that you're up and about and feeling better really soon. And I can also say a proper hello to Sharon, also known as Cruising the Canal. And it's lovely to meet you. And finally, a massive congratulations to our old friend Wayne and, and of course Amanda and Wilma of the NB Wannabes. Wayne this week retired from the police force and a whole new world is opening up to him and Amanda and of course Wilma 
and congratulations. Good luck on finding your boat. I know you know it. Your boat is out there and it's just a matter of finding out. So good luck for that. Good luck for and best wishes for this new start in your life. And also take a little bit of time out. Policing and shift work particularly is going to take a toll on your body. So just take it easy for yourself. Don't push yourself too much. And I look forward very much to meeting you one day on the canals. This week was the anniversary of Mum's death. Four years ago, the person who this boat is named after gently melted into the long tiredness that, like cobweb, had wrapped her mind and body for so long, until at last it gently overwhelmed her, and the moorings were slipped for one final time. And outside the May sun shone, and pigeons called from high in the Scots pines. A landscape so much like the gorsy, sandy, piney, rhododendron jeweled Surrey heathlands of her childhood that she loved so dearly. And that week, and the subsequent few weeks, are a strange, dislocated, flicker-book train of feelings and emotions and memories. Driving driving constantly up the never-ending roads to Norfolk, crows on the hard shoulder, the bleached long grasses prairie brown rushing past me, aware but unseen. And for some reason I had a CD of Jack Kerouac reading some of his poems, accompanied by a saxophonist. I played it on repeat, round and round. Croak's bipolar readings, sometimes energetic, staccato spitting out words as if they were weapons, alive, frenetic, frantic, and at others, shambolic and rambling, words rolling into sound, blending into the noises of the car. And sometimes I'd switch discs to Lana Del Rey's Lust for Life, and Johan Johansson's Orfei. Johan Johansson got me through. And looking back, it's a period of time that is difficult to assess. On one level, strangely alive, and on the other, strangely numb. And those things to which I was alive remain vivid, punching a hole in my senses and equilibrium, even now. On one trip, I stopped for a coffee and a cake at some services just outside Peterborough. It was out of character. I don't normally do that and just push on. And I can clearly remember how the woman behind the counter took my order and my money and didn't even look at me. She was too busy talking to her friend. And it was as if she was completely unaware that the world no longer had my mother in it. I can remember being so unreasonably and incomprehensibly irritated by it. 
And yet, for many things, and for me, the things that should have mattered, I seem to have been dead, impervious, asleep. That never came that comes when a personal tsunami hits. And Donna, who has spent many years working in palliation with patients and families, preparing and experiencing through death, she always says that there is no normal. You just find out what works as you find your own way through. There's no playbook for death or grief. And so I just have this patchwork quilt of memories of that hot end of May, of large blue Norfolk skies and rolling flint-laced fields over which rooks circled and called. And when my dad and sister and I sat together by the crystal-clear stream that sparkled on its gravel bed and just talked and then just watched the birds. And the never-ending round of visits to banks and solicitors and undertakers and phone calls and going through paperwork. And I took the funeral, and I was and still am so grateful and glad. But it was also hard. It gave me a certain sense of distance and objectivity but it also gave me a sense of distance. And I am not sure that I have ever really processed mum's death, not fully, and perhaps it can only really be done in years, not weeks or months. And I can still see her vividly in that hospital bed and the searing unreality of it all. That in some way this is not happening. Not here, not like this, in this strange room cramped with equipment where no familiar sounds can be heard. Why aren't there bees humming? Or the soft tick of the grandmother clock? Or the scent of hen feathers, their wings warmed by the sun, and the smell of polish and rhubarb on the boil, and the dust motes dancing in the hallway light, or the shimmer of light through silver birched leaves. And there were no buttercups, or a mill wheel slowly turning, casting dripping rainbows into the stream below. Just this unreal, unfamiliar, alien world in this unreal place. And there was no mill-wheel turning. But these are no longer the first images that come to mind now. And when they do, they no longer stay for so long. What springs to mind is Mum, who was and will always be Mum. Boiling handkerchiefs in the huge pan while condensation dripped down the kitchen walls and window panes. Listening to Jimmy Young and Pete Murray on the kitchen transistor and Wagoner's Walk. Sitting on the step of the greenhouse in the garden in the sunshine, reading and sketching. Bringing yet another rescued pet home from Judy's, the village pet shop. 
and above all cycling the lanes around our house on her botanical safaris, an old gas mask case containing her beloved copy of Kibble Martin and the homemade vasculum that Dad had made for her. And it's strange what memories coalesce or bubble up and attach themselves. It's rarely the ones you think that would stay with you. And recently it's phrases of poems, just rhymes, meter, rhythm. We were not a particularly poetic or poetry-loving household. We were a bookish family. Our house and home was packed with them. But they tended to be non-fiction, natural history, aviation, biographies. And I do remember that we did have a book of poems, a thick, broken-spined, multicoloured paperback. It announced itself as an anthology. And where the spine was creased, it always opened at the beginning of Spencer's Fairy Queen. Its spiky, incomprehensible words scared me stupid, and fairy and queen were spelled all wrong, not like the way we spelt it at school or on the graffitied insults carved into our classroom desks. And there was a whole section on Tennyson, and the word oft kept appearing with frightening regularity. But it didn't have any of the poems that I knew, the ones I learnt through and with mum and the rhythms and the meters that meant so much more than words beating like a tattoo through my childhood and awakening to adolescence by welcoming the thick, shifting undercurrents of the black magic of Dylan Thomas. What was the first poem that you ever learnt by heart? Is it still with you? Mine was this. Three little ghostesses sitting on postesses, eating butter toastesses, greasing their wristesses up to their fistesses. Oh, what beastesses to have such feastesses. It came from a large violet cloth-bound book called 365 Bedtime Stories, and each night Mum would read one of them, or we would read and recite it together. I must have learnt others before it, but this one was the first that I was consciously aware that I knew it, and not learnt it through osmosis or immersion. It was poetry without water wings. Another, and surprisingly perhaps my most favourite one, I've now forgotten, and I hadn't realised I'd forgotten it until one day... I realised I could no longer recite it. And it came also from that same book. Round the ragged rocks, my lads, the ragged rascal ran. And that's where it stops, lurching violently to a halt like a stalled car. And there was something about that ragged sea and the waves and the brushing of the ragged sand into a ragged pan and a ragged wind blowing it back. I so wanted to be that ragged man perched upon that ragged rock on the sand beside the foamings. And from time to time I sometimes try to pounce on it unawares, sneaking up behind it 
hoping that my memory will forget that it's forgotten it. But it doesn't work. And I've looked everywhere for it. Even the internet's failed. And the closest that I've found is a tongue twister. Around and round the ragged rocks, the ragged rascal runs. But that's not it. I know it goes on beyond that. Round the ragged rocks and three little ghostesses. Words, play, rhythm. Simple but powerful. And the first poem that Mum learnt, she had to learn for school. And it was A.A. Milne's Happiness. John had great big waterproof boots on. John had a great big waterproof hat. John had a great big waterproof Macintosh. And that, said John, is that. Apparently a teacher wasn't impressed. But I would have been. Poetry should include, amongst other things, a love and a playfulness with sound and words. And can there be any summation of happiness that's better than the image of a small boy in a big Macintosh and big boots in the rain? And I like A. A. Milne's poetry. And one of my childhood favourites captivated me. It was partly the images that it evokes and partly the hint of a darker, perhaps less safe world in it, and also partly because of Ernest Shepard's wonderful illustration that went alongside it. And it's a poem called Come Out With Me, and I didn't really understand it until I was much older. Come out with me. There's sun on the river and sun on the hill. You can hear the sea if you stand quite still. There's eight new puppies at Roundabout Farm, and I saw an old sailor with only one arm. But everyone says, run along, run along, run along. All of them say, run along, I'm busy as can be. Everyone says, run along. There's a little darling. If I'm a little darling, why don't they run with me? And there's wind on the river and wind on the hill, and there's a dark dead water wheel under the mill. I saw a fly which had just been drowned, and I know where a rabbit goes into the ground. But everyone says, run along, run along, run along. All of them say, yes, dear, and never notice me. Everyone says, run along, there's a little darling. If I'm a little darling, why don't they come and see? Another poem that I associate indelibly with Mum, and she always brings to mind whenever I come across it, and that's found in Kenneth Graham's book, The Wind in the Willows, and it's the Duck's Ditty. And whenever, when we were walking along the towpath as children, we would watch or see the ducks foraging and feeding with their tails up. Mum would invariably quote it. And it goes like this. Ducks ditty. All along the backwater, through the rushes tall, ducks are a-dabbling, up tails all. Ducks tails, drakes tails, yellow feet a-quiver, yellow bills out of sight, busy in the river. Slushy green undergrowth where the roach swim, here we keep our larder, cool and full and dim. Everyone for what he likes, we like to be, Heads down, tails up, dabbling free. High in the blue above, swift swirl and call. We're down a-dabbling, 
Tales All. The poem above all other poems that I associate with Mum is the one that she too had lost, like my Round the Ragged Rocks. And this is long before internet search engines where you could just type in a line or two or even a memorable phrase and unleash pages of links. And for most of my growing up years and young adulthood, mum was the dinner lady at our local village school, primary and junior school. And I can so vividly remember her excitement and joy when she found her poem once again. And it was in one of the poetry books that she found in one of the classrooms. And how on one wet lunchtime, a time of indoor play, she asked one of the the big girls, the, the top year, to write it out for her. And she brought it triumphantly home and kept it with her for the rest of her life. And it was Nod by Walter de la Mer. And for much of my life, I've actually mixed it up with so many other poems, Winking, Blinking and Nod, and uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's Land of Nod, and even for a while, Gray's Elegy written in a country churchyard for some reason. And I think it's something to do with the association with the close of day and sleep. And again, it's only in later life did I pick up on the, the deeper themes and currents And it was more than just a pretty chocolate box evocation of a life that, or a type of life that was vanishing. And I read it at the end of mum's funeral. It was almost impossible. But it was also right. Nod by Walter Delamere. Softly along the road of evening, in a twilight dim with rose, Wrinkled with age and drenched with dew, Old Nod, the shepherd, goes. His drowsy flock streams on before him, Their fleeces charged with gold, To where the sun's last beam leans low, On Nod, the shepherd's fold. The hedge is quick and green with briar, From their sand the conies creep, and all the birds that fly in heaven flock singing home to sleep. His lambs outnumber a noon's roses, yet when night's shadows fall, his blind old sheepdog slumber soon, misses not one of all. His are the quiet steeps of dreamland, the waters of no more pain, His ram's bells ring neath the arch of stars. Rest, rest, and rest again. This is N.B. Erica, signing off for the night and wishing you a very peaceful, restful night. Good night. Temperature, outside, 14.7 degrees. Inside, 22 degrees. Humidity, 47%. Dew point, 7 degrees. Wind direction, east. Wind strength, 2 miles per hour. 
barometric pressure, 1,028.1, rising. Cloud cover, 10%. Cloud ceiling, none. Precipitation, 0.8 millimeters. Moon phase, 83.4%, waning kippus. Day length, 16 hours, 20 minutes. Sunset, 21.14. Sky casting, 4.53.